Welcome back to another issue. I'm Beastie Boy. I'm Table. I'm Red. It is I, Shino Brando. And in this issue, Beastie takes us to Weave School and gives us a lesson in representation for the black community in the anime industry. All right. Ikuzo. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, the like black community or black musicians since like the early or mid 1970s had like an integration into the Japanese art style of really early on. So one of the musicians or like, I guess, samples that you could use as an example was the Yellow Magic Orchestra. So many artists were using this band for their different samples, such as like artists like Michael Jackson, Quincy Jones, even as well, Two Life Crew, De La Soul, Mariah Carey, and other artists like Jennifer Lopez and Africa Bombada. I don't okay. know who that is exactly specifically, but it is a, a name sure. reference that I want to drop in as well. These are all bands that I knew from my childhood because they were still around on the radio. So a lot of the like the groove styling that people were, you know, intrigued into from the Japanese or Chinese like our style, people mm -hmm. had, you know, brought the samples of those and brought them and integrated into their music. It's, it was the intrigue of that. But another example that was followed heavily into that style would have been the famous Wu-Tang Clan. Exactly. For the Wu-Tang Clan, obviously they had gotten their name from Shaw Brothers, one of their movies from Shaolin and Wu-Tang that was created in 1983. But from those guys, they were intrigued by the, I guess, Chinese martial arts type movies. And then, of course, by the different animations that they were creating at the same time. Yep. So that's how, you know, that came to be with that group and brought them together. So, you know, Wu-Tang Clan had many references or have had pulled different references from different animes or different movies that had been created around that time. Oh, yeah, for sure. But there is also a very known one, I guess you could say, like a known reference in modern albums or music, too, from Lupe Fiasco. So he had a verse in Kanye West's Touch the Sky. So the verse is, quote, guess who's on third? Lupe still like Lupin the third. Obviously, Lupin the third is from the Castle of Cagliostro or from the, you know, famous studio Ghibli movies. And so that was integration of, you know, how artists were interested or had pulled another intrigue from the anime world and putting it into to their music or lyricism as well. In fact, that has now come full circle with Lupin on Netflix as it's inspired by Lupin the Third and stars a, a male black lead. That's right. And it's very good. If you haven't tuned in, tune into that too. It's really, really good. It sounds interesting because one of the big things that always like stands out to me about a lot of black artists is that they gr often ground their music in relevant mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. as anime becomes more and more relevant that's yet another place to find its feet so to speak mm -hmm. but yeah a lot of, like obviously with the different integrities or different influences of like japanese art style into modern day hip-hop you'd see references even by kanye west in his stronger music video where he, he pulls a reference from the akira hospital scene and so he had gotten ideas for that because he, he had mentioned in i think interviews that he had mentioned that you know akira was one of his favorite anime movies that he had watched and so yeah. like he pulled so much pull from that he was like you know what? I'm gonna throw this into my music. Well, show yeah, you how I love it. That movie's serious shit, man. That whole manga's serious stuff, so. And that particular anime has even made itself 
like more popular as the longer it's had a, itself a legacy. Masahiro Sakurai, the creator of Super Smash Brothers, owns an Akira motorbike. That manga alone was a bestseller, but when that was made into a film, that was like the flagship film that introduced anime to like the Western world, man. And it just took off from there. You know, it's a testament to itself. Like you can you can still speak about Akira today. And people be like, yeah, like nothing looks like that on, on screen anymore. Nothing. And like it was done by hand, pen, paper. You know what I mean? Like it's crazy. Mm-hmm. And its introduction is right up there in terms of Cowboy Bebop's introduction just for establishing exactly what's going on and who these people yeah. are. Yeah. Like it's textbook beautiful. Good stuff. Speaking of about Cowboy Bebop, actually, with the created by Shinjiro. Oh, sorry. I'm not so sure if I'm going to say this right. Created by Shinichiro Watanabe. Yeah, that's about correct as, as it gets. If, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry if I butchered your name. <laughs> it was a mistake. But he also, like, with the creation of Cowboy Bebop, Samurai Champloo, and some other series, he had, like, made Cowboy Bebop more focused on, like, the story plot of Driven closer to futuristic. He gave it a more soundtrack close to jazzy or older-centric kind of vibe in a sense so that's what kind of had pulled audience in per se the black community into that kind of series because of the music type or soundtrack that he had used pairing as well with the fighting and as well the story that was put together but even samurai champloo was kind of like a reversal of that so the story was more set into older times but for that he had gotten independent artists and was able to make a more futuristic type or modern type soundtrack to it yeah Mm -hmm. that was that was a general feel to it because like the name itself champloo means remix and so his idea was to like take a feudal Japan samurai themes and then like mix in almost modern day type tropes that you don't feel like it's a period piece. You can see it through the whole anime like it, it tells it. So for like example for Cowboy Bebop, for the whole like soundtrack it was created for, he had gotten composer Yoko Kano and the composer had put a band together called The Seatbelts to yep. just make the series soundtrack, which is a pretty interesting thing. And then for Samurai Champloo, he had gotten different artists such as Fat John, Force of Nature, Suchie, mm-hmm. and the late passing Nujibis. It's funny too, because Cowboy Bebop, uh, their soundtracks have sold out numerous times out there. So, yeah, because the jazz composition in that whole anime run is so good. Um, I think it's like, you can get it, like, I think you get an all one, like, huge anthology, I believe, mm-hmm. where it's split into a couple of albums. But man, they, they sell out really fast. I can imagine, because that, that whole soundtrack for the series is really good. It's very popping, yeah. Mm-hmm. Same with Samurai Shampoo. Like that whole run of soundtrack is like even the intro. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like, man, you're making me want to go back and watch it just to hear the music again. <laughs> I'm honestly probably gonna look it up too later on. Can oh, get a feel man. of what it is. But even let alone stuff like that for music, right? There's been other integrations of different artists besides uh, Nujibis and J. Dilla, you know, integrating that mm-hmm. kind of newer flavor, which is what was pulling in, you know, the audiences, grabbing their attention to pay right. attention to the series. There was other stuff that. After Samurai Champloo, Adult Swim, who was also one of the many, I guess, anime hosts, I guess you could say, for Western viewers. And also, yeah, exactly. And then Toonami, being another one as well, had worked on getting a series together that had put the styles of hip-hop and anime together. Oh, I think I know where this is going. (laughs) From a newspaper (laughs) comic strip called The Boondocks. Hey, hey. Yep. And to this day, is obviously still one of the most popular anime-styled American series. So much so that even we talk about it in references. And that's and that stuff is good if you guys haven't watched it. Oh, obviously. I would say to... that yeah. it bridges the line between like homage and reference 
in exactly how the characters yeah. move and how they're designed. Oh, yeah. And I'm pretty sure one of the characters is straight up Bruce Lee in his signature yellow yeah. costume. There's about three different fight scenes that the show has that it's literally frame by frame from Naruto. I mean, it, one way to save money. They pay hard reference and homage at the same time. It occurs to me just now that for those who don't know Boondocks, somebody go over the rough plot of Boondocks. Three out of place black people live in a very white neighborhood. Yeah, basically. Yeah, and it follows the uh, story of these three black people as they sort of navigate through life. If you want to call it that, as they survive in a very white neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, or I guess white society would it be? Yeah, in general. Um, I would say right it... now, this show, yeah. 18 plus. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> very high key. <laughs> <laughs> but besides other anime stuff like that had been created, you know, more gearing towards the black community or created for them, another one would have been Afro Samurai, which was also created in 2007 and also aired on Toonami, which... It, technically still counts i guess for that western anime but that's, it no, was that, sorry that came out that came out of madhouse production so that's that's anime as it gets yes yeah, so i was gonna 100%. say because it was technically by it was created by a japanese studio which again yeah, was man. madhouse as you mentioned i've seen the original manga to afro samurai so and that shit it's very graffiti it's tone mm -hmm. so i like the only studio that can really get that translated would have been madhouse they did a very good job and the interesting factor too of it is the series had doubled down on the factor of you know having anime being geared towards the black community and just you know besides like dragon ball z being anime in general but it had stylings of you know a black cast and then you know integrating with samurai sword fighting but you know had it also had talents with people like rizza who was in part of it and then samuel jackson you know voice acting in the series as well i remember they labeled that about with sam jackson jackson in the cast mm -hmm. each episode roughly cost about a million dollars on the one hand worth it on the other hand your budget, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they did it. Yeah, and they did it twice because there's a, there's a sequel to it. I haven't watched Afro Samurai in its entirety. I did end up watching the very first episode on a recommendation from a friend and then dropped it like I tend to do with most shows that I'm asked <laughs> to watch alone. Right. But the one thing that really stood out to me was the lighting. Like, it's so stylized, but in the best kind of way where you're like, oh, I am looking at this. And, like, you can't really look away, especially because the action is so fast. Very, very. Well, I'll tell you this. When you're in the mood to watch a revenge quest go down, then go and watch Afro Samurai. Yeah, skip Kill Bill and go right to Afro Samurai. Yeah, it, it, will, it, will, <laughs> it will curb that for you as well. Society has progressed past the need for white people with swords. This, this is true. Another quick tidbit for reference to MF Doom, may he rest in peace. Rest in peace. He was also under the quick label that was, I believe, handled by Jason DeMarco on the time, so co-creator of Toonami. But they had a label together with, so MF Doom and Danger Mouse, which was the mouse and the mask. So I believe the collaborative name was Danger Doom? So I think that sounds about right, yeah. I think, yeah. So they had a, that was the collaborative name. And then the album that was under that was the mouse and the mask, again, as reference. But Jason DeMarco essentially, you know, had basically what it was is that they kind of like looked at like statistics of like the music or playlists they had mm -hmm. that they were working with for different the series. And then they kind of had realized they're like, hey, we're, we're not doing so good. We need to get this back up. And so this guy basically had then basically was given the task of like, okay, try to find some artists or people that you know that can bring these numbers back up but also right. work in this budget and then you know try to see if we can we can make something happen and so he did that thankfully 
by again talking to different independent artists and labels and then as well showing besides the mention of danger mouse and mf doom they were able to get some other artists and feature them like gorillas and then some other artists that were then you know showed late night for the midnight run section of tsunami so you know like because gorillas obviously had worked as well too with some black artists as well yeah so Always mention of those and then bringing the collaborative together had even boosted it higher and then brought some good stuff around good music man Mm-hmm. It's a very good idea. So, you know, obviously, besides the very heavy connections of music between, you know, rappers, artists, and all that stuff, and in the anime industry as well, for, like, you know, creators that we have now in modern times, quite a few studios that have, you know, worked on specifically on mostly having Black-orientated casts or animes yeah. or even certain commercials over in Japan as well, too. So the famous ones were not famous ones the very modern ones that people have been known to hear about is one that's called the art shitagio built together by arthel isam and darnell who are twin brothers and the co-founders of the 2d animation studio located in tokyo and then as well another one that i'll bring up later in a bit is noir caesar entertainment who's actually mm-hmm. founded by johnny mcguire an nba player for the charlotte hornets as well so for specifically the first studio the art shitagio that studio was established in 2016, but the first brother, Arthel, had been in Japan for at least 10 years prior before that. So he had got, gone there from like America and had just, you know, had studied to become an artist and all that stuff before he developed into becoming an animator himself. But he as well had worked with another animator named Henry Thurlow and was able to bring the studio together. And so he's one of the main studios that have like worked on some very popular anime such as Atomic Titans. Tokyo Ghoul, Naruto, One Piece, Haikyuu, and some many other animes, if not in full, like full series production, but per se, like episode production. So there, there could be some credits to those guys. And then you can see some of their artwork or see how their stylings have been put together in some of their animes. We'll put a link down for the website and then people can see the projects that they've worked on. But, you know, a lot of products for both companies, they usually advertise for doing commercials, like I mentioned before or even just, you know, working on enemies. So essentially their teams are always or usually busy, but it's also good to see, you know, black creatives that are solely there working on different things. And these guys have, the Art Shitagio had worked on different projects such as like the ones I mentioned, but as well for one of the weekend's music videos. So he did like an anime, I think they did an anime inspired like section for one of the music videos. And you can see when it does the switch, it's by, this exact studio that did that work. I don't ever recall seeing the video. I don't haven't watched a music video in, in years, so I missed that. So I'll have to look into that and see what it looks like. They have I mean, yeah, we know Shino too. hasn't watched a music video since MTV. So oh my god, since, I haven't watched a music video since MTV stopped playing music videos. But yeah, so going to Noir Caesar, who's another studio that more or less, like I mentioned, fronted by Johnny McGuire. The company has been working on stuff that like of their own production or per se like more of their own products and stuff like that so let alone the animes that they've worked on but the as well as some of their own manga stories as well artists or different manga cause to you know bring diversity into into their role and then you know bring different uh flavors to the audiences and that way it's you know different different stylings that people can get interested into so there's ones like this like that excuse one me. excuse me who are mm-hmm. any of you <laughs> right who who's a front lady and who's the one behind her I don't know, but there's stuff like this. Yo, but seriously, who's dragon. the girl in like the green sweater? I like who's she? Who I is have she? no idea. 
the the thing is for these guys some of their work is hasn't been i believe streamed yet because they are technically under i think Crunchyroll. but they further for say to show their stuff on to the rest of the audience like for for example prime is seven they're creating an app that's still kind of under works right now that's going to be released for people to stream their production works and all that stuff so well shit looks like i'm gonna have to renew my sub for country roll now (laughs) yeah so again they are working on an app and it'll you know i'm currently following them to see like when they'll release their stuff but they have some let alone interesting artwork some interesting titles that look really good so yeah. Kind of excited to see what they bring about to the table. I know who the badass lady with the wicked haircut and the green sweater is. I need to know. I, when you find out, I find out, my guy. Okay. I just want to know what arms of the dragon means. Dragons traditionally do not have very big arms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I have yeah. questions. But <laughs> I, mean, I guess I'll have to go check it out to find out. Yeah. yeah. It, and on the website, it is a little bit harder to find something too because it, it's more or less just. The website to host of like saying you know if you would like to contact us for you know information about like you know how to get like a commercial done or you know work on a project for you that's more or less how the website is set up but mm-hmm. once again once they do set up this app all set up and all that stuff i think we'll be able to see more of like where the streaming services are going to be available for the animes and all that stuff keep us posted man i'm very interested uh, of course because even let alone the primus one because the primus trailer is really sorry Primus 7 trailer is really interesting of just like simple stuff because in a way it kind of gives off like a weird not weird but like kind of Street Fighter-ish Tekken vibe between the two characters. You, you say my favorite things. I, I'm just telling you what I saw Matt and that's what it gave me. Oh you say my favorite things. Okay. It's, it's some okay. good stuff. It looks like some good stuff. So I'll be ready and waiting to see what these guys are producing. But as well, like I'll see whatever what other products they bring about to the table and for the mini audience that are kind of waiting to see this. Wow. This stuff looks really good, man. But as well, there are some other representations of anime for the black community into the series of like Devilman Crybaby, which okay. shows like different references of like, you know, kind of gangs and all that stuff, or to like okay. different portrayals of how I guess black how do I say it? Like, I'm not thugs, but more like, I guess, to the gang trope, per se. Okay. Or yeah. even gang culture. Yeah. yeah, the gang culture. And even popular anime such as Cannon Busters and Boondocks, as we mentioned, Cowboy Bebop, a bit of Naruto, and JoJo's Bizarre Adventure have good and like amazing stylings of physical appearance for black characters. So it's it, these Abdul. like, exactly. So Abdul, let alone some other characters like from Naruto, some black yeah. characters in the different villages. And then, you know, Cannon Busters with a predominantly like people of color cast. The different mangas and all that stuff like around here are like, it's really intriguing to see how the works are being put out and bring that diversity for many different audiences that way they're not looking at like for example digimon who which looks almost like a basically like other asian or like white looking cast but there's more uh options for people to you know be intrigued and be like hey this person looks like me you know same thing for in the sense of comics where you know there's there's a character that's relevant to them and then they can relate to the series per se oh man yeah black culture and anime was very slim i'm using slim very lightly also right like Mm -hmm. um, i mean all you had was Mr. Popo. Yeah, and Dragon Ball Z didn't do a good job on that one. Yeah, mm. if people want to go listen to more about uh, Digimon as a franchise, we have an episode on that. However, what I would say is that when Digimon first came out, the way the black community was shown in media, especially on that side of the world, was very... It was the thug life. It was yeah. 
you're straight out of Compton's. It was things like that where you were portraying a specific one side. You were portraying the the vaguest, most generalist stereotype one could possibly pull. Whatever you saw on TV, they copied out there. Mm-hmm. However, by the time Digimon Last Cuisine came out, which is the most recent Digimon movie, now we have all this to keep up with. Now we have hit a sort of turning point. And I'm pretty sure, and the editor will correct me if I'm wrong, but... I'm pretty sure the latest series, Digimon Adventure 2020, saw all these up-and-comers in Black Community and the portrayals and took that and just vibed with it and just decided to match its tone and match its vibe and the way it tells a story, the long drawn-outs and the fight and the fluidness. So it's Mm. all come back to it's the Orobos, the, the snake that bites itself. I'm not the most qualified to talk on this one, so this will be a brief aside. But it's always struck me as so bizarre how overwhelmingly white anime looks. Mm-hmm. Like, even when all of the characters have clearly Japanese names, and you're like, okay, so they're all Japanese characters, and they still look like a bunch of white people. Now, I can kind of, like, can you can, give me a You can tell who the actual white people are because they've got names yeah. like American Joe. But when you look at that and you go, huh, what? Yeah, for them, it's because it's like, when they were British Imperial controlled, that's what their that's what their culture was bent on was like white was white was good. So mm. their characters from their old from their old anime characters look pretty pretty much the trope of like what an Asian would like Japanese person would look like, what an Asian person would look like. And they gradually became more white because white was good. So all their characters became more and more white. Even though they had Japanese names, they looked like white children. There was a point in time in their history, came, I guess when they switched when they changed eras, right? I believe there was like a, a point where they were like more, you know, like more Japanese, like not propaganda, I would say, but like geared, like, you know, stuff like television, media and such. So they, they kind of wanted to pull away from like the, the Western American audience and kind of give back to like their own peeps or like their characters would become gradually more and more uh, Japanese looking over time. It's progress. Definitely. It's still just very odd. If all of your characters look white and then all of your black characters look like actual minstrel pieces, you've got a problem. Yeah. <laughs> SNK was one of the top ones to start it. Like their, their main icon was Terry. And then when they when they were given like the more you no know, more Japanese, they went to a more towards more uh Kyo Kusanagi, who's very who's very Japanese, you can hear in the name. Like their old heroes Terry Bogard, new heroes Kyo Kusanagi. So they and you can see the transition was changing. There's been also like weird or bad representation of like Mr. Popo from like DBZ, who's uh, yeah, been a bit rough looking. And or, if you know, people you... want to go go learn more about when Goku first met Mr. Popo, we've got an entire episode on that one too. But there's even obviously like as the series gotten better a little bit, they've shown better representation. Like that one image right there with with Oob above him is literally <laughs> Commander Black. That quite the literally, name. literally. I... literally named. Yeah. That's okay. right up there with when they're like, oh, the Black Ranger is the only black guy on the team. Like, that's yeah. not often how it goes. Just so we're clear, I'm yeah. not dissing Power Rangers. They're usually pretty good about it. But that's the same vibe. Yeah, I mean, Power Rangers even took a jab at that, too, mm-hmm. with the recent movies. But yeah, as we've seen, like, you know, anime progress later on to, again, with different series besides Dragon Ball, we've seen Cowboy Bebop and One Punch Man or some other ones, such as Promised Neverland with the first image in front. Sorry, first character in the front portrayal, like, you know, They've developed to, you know, be more uh, prominent to, you know, different styling or hair style per se. And, you know, show proper depiction of, you know, 
black people as per se if they were animated. Coolest black person in Dragon Ball was Piccolo. Let's go. <laughs> And by that by same that. notion, what that sounds like. <laughs> and by that same notion, the very first enemy that shows up in One Punch Man is a Piccolo ripoff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, very much. Who was that? Oh, he's big, tall, and purple. You know what? Go yeah, watch our One Punch Man episode. Yeah, literally the same. Oh, face. oh, I know we're talking about the. Okay, yeah. I, I was thinking about something else. I was still thinking of like black characters. So I was like, <laughs> but the black guy's different. <laughs> Yeah, the black guy's green in that one. <laughs> I bet the actual black character in One Punch Red. Oh, yeah. It's still the same image in the background, actually, so. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, that is all I have on, I guess, integration or history of, like, you know, anime influence with the black community and all that stuff. Right on. I'm a clown who hasn't done research. But I do wonder to what extent there's black voice actors in hmm. the industry because there's a little bit more leeway with that but also i know there's periodically controversies with hey why do you have a bunch of white people voicing characters of color and right. that's usually more in western animation that i see at least news about it but i know that's mm -hmm. an issue we have there's also just the other end of the spectrum where you have black voice actors and then you have them voicing exclusively inhuman characters and you go huh glad mm -hmm. to give them a job but why'd you gotta be like that yeah, like, well, because I don't know about for, like, like Japanese studios, right, with their voice acting situations, because I don't know mm. for what they would do. It's a whole different thing with, like, you know, who speaks Japanese and who doesn't. Right, yeah. yeah. But with, yeah, with Western audience, I know, like, for example, the recent My Hero season that they had dubbed had one of the characters named Hawks, who's mm. more or less looking like, basically like a whitish character, got voice acted by a black voice actor. Well, I mean, Something. a job's a okay. job. It's, yeah, which the thing is, right? So it's like, it's kind of hard to say of like... You At know, least he didn't play Mutant number seven. <laughs> <laughs> that's very true. But yeah, it's it, like for stuff like that, voice acting in that situation, that's another like situation too. I think it's hard to understand or not mm -hmm. really, yeah. you know, we, we can do voices too. Well, hey, hopefully as the industry grows, they include more and more black characters into their, into their, you know, you know anime and such, right? And mm -hmm. um, you know, that way we can open up more roles for black voice actors. It'd be nice mm -hmm. to uh, get that diversity. I mean, hell, it would come and get, you know, I'm, again, I always stress how I'm older than you guys. So coming up watching, you know, all this anime, there's black characters are few and far between, man. And if you're gum, they were kind of like dopey looking. You know, we were really proud of them, right? So later years have been showing some promise on that. And like, yeah, you brought up some good, you brought up some good artists. Like, like a Rocky is a good one for bringing up good representation and not like drawing the character overboard and whatnot. You know, like the, the, at least we're getting some, some good in spotlight now and hopefully it just grows a bit more and you can get, you know, some more out there and you know, give us some diversity of who we can dress up as for, you know, con once we, once the Backstreet Boys stop performing. Cause you know, <laughs> exactly. Give us a bit more flavor style. It's nice to be able to cosplay a character that already looks like you. Mm -hmm. In fact, options. Uh, one of the most mainstream animes series to date actually has taken on that flavor of representation. Nessa from Pokemon, one of the latest gym leaders to enter the franchise. She's a water type gym leader. She just is a black character. She's not a lightning type. I'm shocked. No, she's not a lightning type. There's no stereotype. Mm -hmm. She is the awesome. water type gym leader. And I believe she fights with one of the most notable water type Pokemon there is. Gyarados. Well, there you wow, Gyarados. Excuse me. Okay. Strong, independent, black Pokemon trainer. Let's see it. Right on, man. Yep. Well, I'm good. I'm happy with that. 
Yeah, like it, it begins, man. It's a process, whether we like it or not. Yeah. I'm even looking at you, Capcom. <laughs> Jeez. But you gave me two black characters. They're not. They're not too. They're not too appealing. And then you gave me a cool one, and you took them away. I don't know why you did that, but give him back. back Correct me if I'm wrong, Red, but isn't there? Isn't the main gym leader, or the, I guess the champion gym leader, is he black or like at least a person of color? In the latest game? Yeah, the latest Pokemon game, uh, uh, Sword and Shield. No. Yeah. So the latest one, I. It's not Lance, but it's pretty close. And he he's a white guy, but his uh, his brother and they don't mention the difference. But how H.A.O. is of mixed race. Oh, am I? You know who I'm talking about? The one with the, like the Charizard, right? Yeah, that's he's mixed. How do you verify something like that in a Pokemon game? Yeah, like, do you meet his parents? Like what? <laughs> Shit. You guys boink and have him? Oh my god. Is this yours? Is this yours? This is your seedling? <laughs> Can you show me the math and the charts? Yeah. <laughs> so the champion in the latest Pokemon game is Leon. Mm, there we go. That's what I was thinking of. And uh, he looks... Uh, you could argue he's mixed. I, I, I was going to say, yeah. He's not as pasty white as many other champions before him. And he's not as pasty white as the protagonist is meant to be but also in that same aspect if you wanted to make your pokemon has come a long way of giving the moment you could put skin tones on characters you started to grow a vaster community of pokemon players even animal crossing is taken to that now or i guess they were first they were on the gamecube but my point still stands there's something to be said about only increasing diversity to make sales but you know what i would rather they increase diversity for stupid capitalism reasons then everything be full of white people all the time i'm here you okay okay i see you this in fact has come all the way back around to one of the mediums that we here love also it has come all the way back around to comics because of the added two more characters and the vaster growing vocal community that you know likes these things Black nerds have become a mm-hmm. people to sell to, to market to. And also that mm-hmm. includes characters that now like a a sect of people that need to be represented. And so that brings me all the background to we have an entire episode dedicated to how it leached itself into comics. And there's a link to that somewhere on screen. All right. But that is the end of this weep session that I brought. <laughs> Unless anybody would like to add on more, of course. No, sir. This is no. an interesting class I've had all week. <laughs> oh, jeez. Well, I guess for this old session is over. But I guess that brings us to our social media, which is our Twitter at Nerd and our Instagram at NerdCursade. And we also upload every Wednesday to YouTube. And you can download any previous episodes or listen on your mobile device to the Anchor.fm website or wherever podcasts are found by searching NerdCursade. And that's to be continued. Thanks for tuning in. If you like this video, go ahead and button mash a thumbs up. If you want to swing by when we have a new video, web up the sub button. Oh, and while you're at it, hit the bell to be notified by. Oh, no!